Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest Courageous Conversations and I am joined by Julie Masters. How are you? I am really well. I'm really well. How are you? You're looking Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, going really well. Running around like a mad thing at the moment, like everybody. Um, very happy to see the sunshine, like everybody. Um, Julie, if I can just say to you, I feel like um, you've found a really unique space and I love the way that you communicate, but how, how, how do you go about communicating in a compelling way? I think that the unique, what you just said there, the unique space part is is a place to start with that yeah. because you know it used to be if we look at look at the old age of influence back in the information age it used mm-hmm. to be that you could hold you know a big space a macro space you could walk into a room start talking nobody else was talking in the room everybody, <laughs> everybody paid attention um there was very minimal tv channels there was minimal channels minimal voices you know very few people got offered a book deal and i was in the industry then um, yeah. Very few people got offered a book deal. Very few people got given a TV show. Very few people, you know, it was this very rarefied air. Yeah. And and now what we've seen, I think I said um, from stage, is we've seen this power pyramid flipping for the first yeah. time in history. And what that means is if you want to stand out and you want to be compelling, you have to be absolutely clear on what space it is that you want to own and what niche you want to own now usually the pushback on that is well you know if I say I'm just for these types of people or these types of situations then what about the rest you know I'm going to lose I'm going to lose the rest and actually what you find and the data that is playing this out massively now is the further down you go the more depth you get actually the more breadth you get Mm -hmm. which is counterintuitive and doesn't make sense but the deeper you go with a community that you are absolutely uniquely positioned to serve, mm-hmm. the deeper you go with them, the more engaged they are, the more they recommend you to mm-hmm. other people. And mm-hmm. that's when we start to see what we call the halo effect, which mm-hmm. is I am deeply connected to these people and therefore they recommend their halo, they you know, take off their halo and they put it on your head and they say, you should talk to such and such. And you, you know, she you you might not be perfect for who she generally serves, but she's so amazing that you should definitely talk to her. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see this breadth bit happen. Mm-hmm. If you can do this well, mm-hmm. you get the breadth. And that so we talked about, you know, influence intersections where the most compelling people, the most compelling brands these days, if you look at it closely enough, it's because they've combined two very unique worlds. Mm. Um, an example that I came across recently that I'm loving at the moment, I don't know if you know this, but the number one croissant um, as voted by the New York Times, the number one croissant in the world comes from Melbourne. Wow. Not France, wow. not Paris, yeah. Melbourne. nice. Um, and it comes from a place called Loon in Melbourne. And the woman who started this croissanterie, if that's a word, um, she is an astrophysicist. And so she, her job was to make Formula One cars go faster. She was very well known in that space. Yeah. And she took a sabbatical and she was like, I'm just going to learn how to bake. And she went to France to learn how to bake. And she fell in love with croissants and she took the process of baking a croissant and she applied her astrophysics brain to it and she broke it down into all its component parts and she re-engineered it to the point where it takes three days now from where to go for her to produce a croissant. Now, 
tell me that story isn't compelling. You know, that intersection between astrophysics and croissants, nobody else could own that space. That is a unique space that only she could own, a unique story that only she can tell. And it's unique enough to have got the attention of the New York Times and she could deliver the goods. And now she has been voted West Croissant on the planet. And I've got hundreds, hundreds of these examples. Yeah. That, you know, it's when people take two unique worlds where they can, they can speak both languages, they can, they have mastery in both fields, and when they can bring them together, that's when suddenly, ping, they yeah. step apart from the crowd. So, and the next level on from that is the the how do you communicate that? Right? How do you mm-hmm. how do you start to communicate it? Yep. So. What you would usually do when it comes to, let's just look at writing, whatever you're going to write online, website, LinkedIn, whatever whatever it's going to be. We call it yep. bios in my world. Um, let's have a look at that because that's a really good kind of focus point for it. The first thing you would cover is the why. Mm-hmm. Now, not why you do what you do, but why should I care? Two or three sentences that are going to capture my attention. And we talked about the Netflix effect. You've got to get us fast. And I was actually just. We've got to, we've got to kind of um, define our core audience first though, right? Because I, yes. I find a lot of people, particularly in the, you know, there's so much social media going on in, in the world in general, but in real estate in, in particular. And it's like a lot of people seem to me to be out there putting messages out because it's all about them. And, and wanting to be Insta-famous without really thinking, why am I doing this? What's the end game that I'm actually trying to achieve and who am I trying to talk to? There's so much in what you just what you just said there, and I'll answer that and then I'll, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back. Yeah. Um, this myth, uh, this um, world that we live in now has taken two very different things and put them together. It's taken influence and popularity and put them together. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been working in influence for 20 years and I've never seen those two things go together before. And for some reason, right. okay. we now seem to think that influence equals popularity yes. and quite the opposite. Some of the most influential so, people are, you lot, know, they have a, a black book that's this tiny, big. Yeah. And when they, when they call, people pick up the phone. Yeah. So... And we've also seen the different. They're talking about nano influence now, which is you know it used to be a thousand true fans. Now it's a hundred. Now it's hundred and fifty. If you can talk to, you can pick a niche that yeah. specific and find hundred and fifty people. That if I only ever talked to them, would that be enough to survive on? Would that be enough to build a long term profitable business? Yeah. That if you can get that specific, and that's the difference between Insta famous, which is popularity, yes. and what and that's a vanity metric. Yeah. It's a feel good metric. I feel great. Yeah. A lot of people love me, but we're not in it for popularity. We're yeah. not teenagers in swimsuits. We're, <laughs> we're you know, we're business women. Yeah, yeah. And, sure. and we know the difference between popularity and and ROI. Yeah. And there's a lot of people I know in the industry that I work in who have hundreds of thousands of yeah. followers and who really struggle being able to monetize it at all. Yeah, right. Because it's not specific enough. Yeah. Um, they're not driving a particular conversation with a particular subset and doing it in a compelling enough way that, that yeah. gets people to take action. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. That popularity myth, no, you get very specific and you go deep. Makes sense. And you, um, um, you, you mentioned, I love when you um, spoke about us becoming a translator for our audience. Mm. I think um, that really, yeah, that, that, so how, how do we actually do that? become a translator yeah the the only way to become a translator is become a student of the world of your target market 
Okay. So you become fluent in their questions and their yeah. language. Yeah. Um, so being fluent in the questions of your target market is probably going to do nothing else. Do that. Um, and that involves asking. What are the questions that your target market have? Mm. Keeping a track. And some of the most successful teams that I know, particularly sales teams, mm. is they keep a collaborative track. They have an Excel spreadsheet that everybody okay. shares. And you put on it, I got asked this question today. I got asked this question today. This question, this question. And then as a team, they look at it and go, these are the 10 most, these are the 10 most frequently asked questions we get. What's the most compelling answer that we can come up with, with those? And here's where it gets even more interesting. Are we the best people to answer that question? It could be a question about mortgages. Yeah. In which case, no, let's find a collaborator, someone to collaborate with. And it's not always just the salespeople that are getting the questions or the property managers. Sometimes it's the accounts people, um, which can then go to process, right, and to, to yep. streamline your process to have a better experience for your consumers or or your, your frontline um, customer service people. Yeah. That's exactly. A, yeah, so that's questions, yeah. um, questions fall into four main categories. What's the process? Mm-hmm. What are my opportunities? What are my challenges? And what are the trends? Yeah, so those okay. are the, those tend to be the four the four core, and once you understand the questions of your target market, then it informs everything. It informs yes. your marketing. It informs your content. Informs your sales pitches. Informs your training if you're going to train. Because yes. again, we need we need to train people up to be as good as we are, and so it informs it informs all things. So you need to firstly become fluent in the questions of your target market, and I'll give you an example of someone who did that. Um, and the second thing you need to be fluent in is their language. Every market has charismatic language mm-hmm. and it's often not the language that we speak. Mm-hmm. Often we speak our own mm-hmm. jargon, technical language. Yeah. Uh, we all do it. I'm a total geek. I do it yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, and it takes stepping back from our own language and going, what's the language of the target market that I'm trying to reach and becoming yeah. fluent in that language. Yeah. And yeah. that takes listening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so as an example, I can't remember if I told the story on the day I was doing some research in the field of questions because I'm just very passionate about questions being the number one competitive advantage over the next five years, especially as voice search takes hold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be searching in questions. Um, and I found a mortgage broker in, this, in the States and um, he had written a blog and he was saying, you know, I had been really struggling to get business, to get traction. I was on the verge of giving up. I'd done everything traditional that you're supposed to do to drum up business. And I, I got nowhere. And all I have was this list of questions that people um, were asking me constantly. And he said, and I went to my marketing girl, my part-time marketing girl, and I said, um, I don't know what to do, but I've got these questions. Shall we just do something with those? And she said, sure, we can do something with that. We could do, how about we do a question a day for 100 days? And so they did. They answered via video, via blogs, a variety of different ways. They did a, a, a hundred, they did a hundred day challenge, question day for a hundred days, and it went off because they were actually answering the questions that their target market had. And if you answer my questions, guess what? I'm going to know a bunch of other people who probably have the same question. If you've given me a valuable enough answer, I'm going to share you. I'm going to share that with somebody. And so it it went off. And now I've told that story a number of different times. There's a company I spoke to just last week who they were like, we're not going to do the 100-day challenge. It's a bit too full on. But they're halfway through a 30-day challenge right. right now. Question day for 30 days. Yeah. So as a tool or as a tactic, do it. Now, it may or may not blow up your business, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will show you exactly what questions resonate and the people are probably going to write more questions. Yeah. And so it's going to point you in the right direction towards what resonates. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's uh, amazing advice. Actually, my sorry, my mind's just going off in lots of different directions now, which is incredible. Um, You're gonna see Leanne's thirty day challenge happening. Yeah, maybe, maybe you never know. Um, now, you've talked about epic storytelling. What does that actually? What does it mean? And what are some of the core ways that we can use that through the sales process? Because obviously everybody on the um, on the call is in real estate, so it's either yeah. real estate sales or property management. Epic storytelling um, is a massive field. It's a massive field, but there are some commonalities between all, all things. And I've interviewed um, people from Google, neuroscientists, um, people from Netflix to try and see if I can figure out, you know, what has commonality and what resonates now with stories. Very different to what used to resonate with yeah. stories. Um, and here are some of the commonalities that, that I've found. Number one is this language of grippingly human. Mm-hmm. It needs to mean? be human storytelling. Not third, you know, it, it's not um, here's a paid actor. Yeah. It's not um, here's something that happened to somebody else. I'm kind of recounting it. And it's not perfect. And it's not perfect. Grippingly human. There's a reason we yeah. love reality TV. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And they call it the vanilla ice cream problem. And the vanilla ice cream problem is, is in, in very short summary, is basically if you look at the ice cream that you love, it tends to be crazy flavours. I know it is for me, pretzels, strawberry cheesecake smashed together with goodness knows what. And it's the same with what we consume. It's the same with what we find compelling. We can mm. find we find things that are imperfect, compelling, mashed together, different diversities, types of people, behind the scenes. And yet when we come to produce stories, something happens and we assume that everybody just loves vanilla. Everybody else loves vanilla. Perfectly produced, um, perfectly worded, yeah, looking. I, it's so true because I see, and I see that because um, I'm not, um, I'm not afraid of video or Facebook Live or any of those sorts of things, and I never watch it back. That is my key tip to people: is actually don't care enough to watch it back if you're just doing those those um, fast things. But what I find when I try and encourage other people to do it is that they they want to rehearse, they want to have auto cue, they want to know exactly the words that they want to say because they're feeling uncomfortable, mm. and that's not gripping. Right? It's There's not. Nothing, yeah. It's it. It's not a subset to that. As someone that's worked with speakers for 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 twenty years as well, um, yeah. word perfect is not gripping, it, unless you're the president of the United States and the whole world it's is right. watching and they're going to pull up pull apart every single word. In which case, you yeah, better practice it, it until yeah. it doesn't sound like you rehearsed it. So there's yeah. you know, an element of practice with that, but it's not worth it for, for the average video that you're going to put together. What I would say is understand structure. And this is the yeah. other part of epic storytelling. So what yeah. is make it human, make it real? Um, I think I said emails that come from humans are four times more likely to get open than emails that come from a brand. Have it have a human voice, a human feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means not perfect because that's just the essence of, of humanity. Yeah. Um, the second part of it is structurally. Be, get, get really laser focused on structure. Mm-hmm. When you hear a story that's compelling, what was it structurally that happened? And I, I can tell you what the science shows. Yeah. The science shows that you need to get people quick. And I was actually just on interviewing a neuroscientist before I came on this call. And he's he studies storytelling through measuring people's oxytocin in their blood. So to literally see how your body is reacting to story. Wow. And what he has found is exactly the same. 
as as what Netflix have found, which is you need to go in fast. His his is 15 seconds. You've got 15 seconds. First 15 seconds, you need to make an impact. And the way that you make an impact is firstly with your energy, if it's video, and you need to say something that's going to get me saying either a yes with my head or a yes in my head. Mm-hmm. And again, we usually do that with questions. Mm-hmm. Have you ever found that you miss out on every auction and you're losing the will to live? Have you, like, you know, ask me a question that's going to get a yes from me somewhere, viscerally a yes. You have my attention now. No, you better And would you it. say... Um- um, from a presentation perspective, because a lot of people on the call would be um, doing one-on-one presentations, listing presentations. Yeah. Would that be the same? Like get them quick, ask questions, get them nodding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Get them quick, ask questions. It's the fastest way. Every presentation I ever do from stage starts with questions. Right. Always okay. for a very specific reason. Firstly, while you're thinking about the question, you you're not talking to yourself in your own brain about your own world. Yeah. You can't think <laughs> about a question and do that. Secondly, I get it gets from stage, it yeah. gets your body moving, which does yeah. a whole bunch of other things energetically. But yeah, start with questions. Um one of the most beautiful questions from a real estate um perspective that I actually got from um, a storyteller is he said, why is this a story that only you can tell? Why is this a story that only you can tell? And I told that to a real estate agent and he started using it in his presentations. And he, one of the very first questions he asks the vendor now is tell me a story about your home that only you can tell. And he said, Oh my God, who is like the emotion that changes in that room Yep. When they talk about, you know, there's something that happens when the light changes in a particular room yeah. and, you know, I was awake with my with my newborn and, you know, why is what is it that you can pull out storytelling-wise? Yeah, I love that. But also kicking off with questions. Let's go back to that. Kicking off yep. with questions. The second thing from a structural point of view is you need yep. to. So you kick off with adrenaline, like get me in, get me on, get me not in. And then you want to move into an empathy space. Mm-hmm. So then when you, you want to move into an oxytocin space, which is when you start sharing stories, because what happens with storytelling creatures, as soon as you share a story with me that feels grippingly human, I drop into a space with you, uh, a trusting, empathetic, engaged space. Yep. So what stories can you share about people you've worked with before? What's happened before? What's happening in the market? What have you been finding? How are people feeling? Yeah. And also, I I just love that. um, Why is it a story that only you can tell as well? Mm. Because in this in this business, there's so much data that we can rely on, but we can all rely on that. You know that we can all regurgitate that information, and I'm certainly guilty of it. Um, So I love that. You know, why is it a story only you can tell? And it also flips back to what you brought up at the beginning, which is your unique space. Yes. If you're going to tell a story about yourself, why is this a story that only you can tell? Yeah. Otherwise, you're sitting down the same as everybody else is sitting down telling the exact same story to the exact same people. Yeah. Why is this a story that only you can tell? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got the, you've got your kind of first 15 seconds. Yeah. Get, get in. Then you've got the, you've got the oxytocin, sorry, the cortisol going. So urgency, get me nodding, get me interested, urgency. You know, if we could find a solution, wouldn't that be great? Yes. And then you move into to the more empathetic storytelling side of things. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you've got your close. Mm -hmm. And closes, powerful closes. Most people don't close very powerfully. No. Most of us are so relieved that it's done. It's over. (laughs) It's so true. I can really relate to that. Most of us are so relieved that it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we kind of just go, I call it the one-night stand version of it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
one night stand version of closing where you're just like, oh God, thanks, bye. Yeah. yeah. So what you want Guilty. to do is you want to have a perp, what I call a purposeful close, closing mm-hmm. on purpose. And a purposeful close involves repetition. So you say, you know, in summary, these are the core things we've covered today. The second part of a purposeful close, and this works just as well in a lounge room as it does on a stage, as it does on a video. Second part is you want emotion. And emotion is what we call, we've got a fancy language for it, and we call it painting a new bliss. So you paint a new bliss. You know, um, if we could imagine if we could do this, this, and this, and, and two months from now we're sat down having a glass of champagne, having done that, you know, wouldn't that be incredible? So you paint, you paint a new bliss. So again, you get me emotionally engaged with the outcome yeah. mm-hmm. so I can viscerally feel it. Yep. And then finally you do what we call the request. And the mm-hmm. request is either a request, an invitation. Um, it's something that gives me the next step forwards. Now, the important thing here is that it's simple. What a lot of people do is they jump into a request with literally, can you bet your house? Can you like, can you put your house on the line for me? You know, what is the simple request that you can make? Would it be, would it be helpful to you if I organized um, a time to talk again in 24 hours? I'm going to send this to you. Um, you can have a time to think and then we'll connect again. Then would it be helpful if um, you, know, you are giving them the next simple thing to do? Do you want some time? And I know how important it is to try and get as much closed in that room as you can. So it might be, you know, I'm going to just um, step out for a second. I give you a, a bit of time to talk. And then when I come back in, I'd love to answer any of your questions. Like what is a simple thing that you yeah. can get a yes to? Yeah. In that moment, the next step. So that's structure and understanding structure is very important because there's a very specific structure just to the arc of storytelling that works. Yeah. But word for word perfect does not work. It's not necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, and distracting. Distracting. Yes, absolutely. Because you're you're focusing so hard on the next word. Yeah. Getting the next word right. You're not actually engaging anybody in the in, no. the, in the story. And structure gives you a roadmap. Yeah. Without necessarily telling you to put your hands on the steering wheel, press the clutch. Yeah. It's just distracting. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. So the consistency, um, have you got any tips on how you keep that pace going and consistent? Um, consistency from a from out there in the market standpoint? Well, from the storytelling standpoint, if we go back to the storytelling standpoint. How we, how we remain consistent. Um, how we remain consistent in the quality of our storytelling it comes back to structure, understanding yeah, structure, yeah, having a clear yeah, structure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's how we maintain consistency from a from a storytelling standpoint is understanding structure and getting obsessive about it. The how we maintain consistency from an industry standpoint, from a standing out almost content contribution standpoint. For me, the best way to maintain consistency that I have found and and played out with a number of organizations is developing what we call cornerstone. So you have a 90-day cornerstone. Now, for me, the 90-day cornerstone is usually the podcast. Once a quarter, I try and record as many as I can. Um, And then they get chopped into pieces. They get chopped into smaller sound bites, longer sound bites, quotes, little videos. And then that becomes the content for the next 90 days mm-hmm. or the newsletters for the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's most, so important, right? People try and just think, oh, God, it's Wednesday. I need a podcast yes. out by tomorrow. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or they go, oh my god, this week, like it becomes yeah. this thing it, that is impossible, yeah. yeah, to to have consistency on. But if you have time allocated, like I'll do a filming day once a quarter. Once I have filmed it, I don't want to see it again. Yeah. Once I have filmed it, it goes to other members of my team who chop it into pieces, who do everything that needs to happen with it. Yeah. I've done the highest quality piece of work I can do then in a yeah. manageable and containable way and then it gets chopped up in a thousand different ways and it gets sent out into the world it's important to be smart about that as well because I certainly am not um, and I produce a reasonable amount of content but I think we're in in the rush to get the content out you never sit there and look at it and go okay I could turn that into a blog I could cut that into little bits and put it on social media there's a lot more that we can all do with our content there's so much work that you put in I mean you know there's so much work and work and intention and mastery and knowledge and value that you put in to not use it is such a shame. It's, it's not wrong. just a waste yeah. of resources. It's such a shame. And if you look at the the pyramid of, of content, at the very top is live, live video. Because what yeah. you can do with live video is you can record it, you can chop up the video, you can strip out the audio into podcasts, you can have it transcribed into blogs, you can cut it into quotes. You know, that's why it's at the top of the tree. Yeah. If you if you record audio as I do, you can't turn audio into a video. It's very difficult. You kind of can with audio grabs, but it, your options are more limited. If you start with the written word, your options are limited again. Yeah. So, you know, the further up the chain you start, the more options you have in terms of cutting and splicing and using it. But I would I would drill down there, but you know, for any, for for those that are watching, stop thinking about more, do less and obsess. Oh, I like that. Do less and more. obsess. That actually came from a, from a beautiful friend of mine. Um, do less and obsess. Start looking at, I'm going to do this incredible piece of quality work here and then obsess about how many different ways we can get that out in the world. Mm. If it's valuable enough, it's valuable enough to juice it for every single thing that it's worth. Mm, absolutely. Rather than bits and pieces of, oh, my God, it's Wednesday. I'm going to say something interesting. Yeah, exactly. How can I be interesting on a Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, exactly. Um so, I mean, I talked about this from the stage at WIRE as well, that whole imp- imposter syndrome, why would anybody Why would anybody care about what I've got to say? Yeah, oh, I could talk about that all day. Um, imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is an interesting one, especially for women. Mm-hmm. It's It tends to be, everybody gets imposter syndrome, just by the way. Yeah. It's, it's not, not an estrogen. No, it's not an estrogen-driven thing. Everybody gets it, but there seems to be an extra layer for women, mm-hmm. um, and it's around that certainty piece. Mm-hmm. Women, this is just my experience now. Women tend to hold back until they are absolutely certain and sure that every word they're about to say is absolutely perfectly right and nobody could argue with it, And whereas men, for whatever reason, don't tend to have that layer. Yeah. They tend to say it to the, and this is where it's great. You know, that's not a negative trait. They say it to the best of their abilities. And then if they find out some more information, they just move on. Yeah. And, and, and they keep going. So the way to deal with imposter syndrome, and I, I get it to varying degrees. Yeah. Um, You know, there's, for me, it it comes as, as I step through different levels of my comfort zone, which I'm, you know, I try Mm -hmm. very hard to stay focused on doing. Mm -hmm it hits in different ways. You you get through the next bit and then there's another bit to hit and the next bit and another bit to hit. Um, That question, who do you think you are? Again, I can't remember if I spoke, talked about it from the stage, but the, 
that tends to be at the bottom of it somewhere. Who do you think you are? The fear that someone will ask it, mm-hmm. which unfortunately they will always. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the fear that you will ask yourself, which you will always mm-hmm. before you step outside of your comfort zone, one single inch, you will ask yep. yourself, who do I think I am to do this? Yeah. And so the trick with the question is actually not to try and avoid the question. Cause as soon as we try and avoid the question, um, we stop stepping, we stop moving. The trick with the question is to answer the question. Okay. It's to, okay, who do I think I am? Well, let me answer that. This is who I think I am. I think I'm the hardest working CEO that this company has ever seen. I think mm-hmm. I am, you know, the um, the most productive lawyer in my team. I think that I, like, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Answer the question mm-hmm. and answer it in a way that when it gets asked and it will, yep. that it actually empowers you to step into it. It's a reminder to step back into it. And I guess if you don't like the answer to that question, that's the first place to start, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. If you don't like the answer, change the answer. Yeah. Change the answer. Do something different. Change the answer until you can find an answer that you like. And then every time it gets asked, thank you for the reminder. I'd forgotten. Mm. Step back in. Um, It's the fear of the question Mm -hmm. that, that drives a lot of it. There's also the other thing, and I think I did mention this on the day, the Spanish have this beautiful word called duende, mm-hmm. and there's no direct translation for duende in, um, into English. And I have this obsession with flamenco, which is how I came across oh, wow. the word. Okay. I love yeah. flamenco. Yeah. And the reason I love flamenco is it's one of the most, especially for women, this is a conversation I'd have in, a, in an audience that wasn't specifically women, it's one of the only dance forms that is inherently warrior and empowering Mm -hmm. for for women it's just a beautiful art form Mm -hmm. and this word duende what happens if you if you go to a flamenco show in spain they the dancer will come on and it will just the room will go quiet silent Mm -hmm. the dancer will come and they stand there for quite a while just in absolute silence and absolute stillness and the spanish would say they'd wait for a while and they go the duende just arrived and it's this moment of absolute gravity, mm-hmm. of owning the ground that you that you walk on, mm-hmm. of owning your own mastery, and bedding down into it. Mm-hmm. And the 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 myth of the duende is that it can only arrive if something within you is willing to die. And that yeah. is usually a story. It's usually a story. It's usually a story that we have, if we're really honest, yeah. that prevents us from showing up in yeah. different realms of our lives. And it's that story that if the duende is going to arrive, that we need to allow to die. We need to identify and allow it to die. And we don't, you know, we don't get to take the next leap unless we deal with whatever's shackling us to the ground over here. Mm. And that is usually a story that we have about ourselves. It's not usually anybody else. It's usually yeah. a story we have about ourselves. So those two things, I think, answer the question and yeah. find that story and do whatever you can do to step yes. around it. Stomp that story out. Stomp yeah. the story. Yeah, I love that. That's really powerful. Um, you and I were speaking before we um, started um, broadcasting about the fact that when women get passionate or angry or you know the way that 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 we communicate and the way that we are perceived by people um, is different 
to when men are, um, are passionate or angry. Can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> There's a can of worms we can get, we can open. Yeah, totally. um, I want to say, first of all, that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a scientist. I study this stuff um, and I have access to a lot of studies. So, but uh, based on actual experience, having been a CEO and, and managed very. I, was gonna, I, thought you, I thought you were going to say having been a woman. <laughs> having been a woman. Um, you know, a part of the biggest part of my job, and I started my business in my early 20s, yeah. a big part of my job very early on in my career was managing powerful men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, CEOs, heads of banks, because I had a, a talent management agency for speakers. And so the people that I, were man- I was managing were, yeah. were very high octane, powerful. At that stage in, in the world, not many women were on the stage. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of very powerful men. And I really struggled. I really struggled because to be in a room, for me to get forceful or purposeful or passionate or dissatisfied yes. was to be hormonal, emotional, um, unreliable, scary. Yeah. Oh, well, she, uh, here she goes again. Here she goes again. Or, oh, gosh, you know, Jules isn't usually like that. She must be a bit hormonal today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had that. I had someone say, is it that time of the month, Leanne? And, of course, it was a while ago, um, but it just sets you off, right? It just really. Well, and also, if anyone ever says that to you, irrational. the response that I've started using now is, you know, as far as I know, everybody gets hormonal. As far as I know, everybody has hormones. And as far last time I looked, testosterone was a was a hormone. And so while we're in this interaction, if I'm getting slightly head up and it's hormonal, then if you're getting slightly head up, then that's it's also your hormones. That's, yeah. that's hormonal as well, yeah. And it, no one's ever looked at a dude undergoing road rage and gone, he's a bit hormonal today, which in fact he is. <laughs> that's a rush of testosterone. Yeah, that's yeah, a hormone. Right. Yeah, right. So we all get hormonal and it dictates how we handle things. So, so how did you how did you handle that as a you know, because obviously you're a very attractive blonde and you know this is in your twenties, it would have been. How did you handle that? Oh, I I failed epically at you, first. Yeah. I failed epically. At first you do the whole I'll because I'm a I'm a relatively good listener and I, you know, I'll wait my turn. Mm-hmm. Tried that one. That has some success sometimes, doesn't have some success others. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I was like, right, well, I will I will out testosterone. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll do. Yeah. And not only sometimes that would work, what I found was that I would come out of those rooms and the the guy in question would say, Oh, that was an amazing conversation. That was awesome. And I'd come out going, that was the most depleting. Yeah. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm exhausted, and I'm, depleted. Yeah. I don't feel like we got anywhere useful. Yeah. And so that didn't work either. Yeah. And what I came to was, and it's interesting giving you this answer because it would be, it's a different answer than than the one I would have given if I was purely looking at it dispassionately. Yeah. But within my own experience, where I got to was there is that gravity piece again. Yeah. You look at Oprah. So she's a really good example. She you is. look at Oprah. No one looks at Oprah and thinks that she is hormonal. Mm-hmm. No one looks at Oprah and thinks that she's a pushover. And mm-hmm. also no one looks at Oprah and thinks, thinks that she's angry or um, aggressive. Mm-hmm. If the development of a sense of stillness and a sense of gravity mm-hmm. is a very conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we can develop. 
and it's how you hold yourself yep. in a room. It's how frequently you speak and how, where you speak from. That's Again. a really important point because we all start to speak out here higher, right? Mm. It's, yeah. So it got to the point where, where you- the team would know if I dropped my voice. Yeah. Uh oh. It was like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was again not up down. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 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 gravity of my voice and it's also the stillness as in I'm not speaking quickly I'm slowing right down. Yeah. Now. And you can just say that even in what you just did then that's mm. like ooh. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. a different and my daughter would know it like I <laughs> like use does. it more as a mother. You know, it's fine and then it is not. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the line. Yeah. And so for me, it's not about getting bigger and more dramatic and more testosterone and louder. It's the counterpoint. Right. It's the Oprah. It's the I am listening and I and I and I have a sense of compassion for where you're at and I will not talk over you. However, there is a line. Yeah. And that line is here. And we will talk about that line. So it's the slowing down, it's the dropping of your voice, right. it's the holding of yourself. And that I found to be the most powerful way to, to overcome and get around that gender, bal- gender imbalance that absolutely does exist mm. when it comes to how we are perceived mm-hmm. in our passion or in our anger or in our excitement or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So yeah, it's the it's a gravity piece. Mm, Finding holding your gravity. Um, I think breathing is the most under um, explored thing that we do. We just do it automatically. But when you are getting distressed or stressed or whatever, if you can actually just be really conscious of your breathing and deepen and slow mm. your breathing down, you can respond much more effectively. I've found. <laughs> I listened to, and I would recommend it, I listened to an, an amazing interview that Tim Ferriss did with Hugh Jackman. Oh, yeah. Um, incredible interview. Tim Ferriss is always an incredible interviewer. And he he talked about, Hugh Jackman was talking about breathing and he yep. was saying, you know, when he goes on stage and it's, you know, make or break and he's got to hit the high note, come hell or high water, everybody's looking. And he said the best advice he ever got was to breathe in as if you were breathing out. How would you breathe in as if you were breathing out? And th- th- when I was trying it, the truth is that you would breathe into the lower part of your stomach. That's what you would yeah. do. Yeah. You would inhale as you would exhale. Whereas what we tend to do is inhale like this. <laughs> yeah. And exhale kind of like. <laughs> yeah. So breathing, pausing. Don't be afraid of silences. Yep. I think we women tend to be more afraid of the silence. And to actually just set, sit and let something settle either something that you have just said or something that they have just said. It's so hard to do. We want to jump into the science. So hard yeah. to do. Yeah. So hard. But if you look, you can tell who the most powerful person in a room is, usually by how little they say versus how much they say. Mm. They're not afraid of the space in between the words or the points or to just let something settle and people to sit with it. Mm. 
Yeah, it's very important. I'm just mindful that um, you and I could probably talk on this. <laughs> probably could. Um, but I have got a question. Oh, this is a good one. Thanks, Louise. There's a lot of discussion around quotas of women at the moment, particularly um, with everything that's going on in politics, as opposed to the best person for the job. What are your thoughts on this, i.e. how to best articulate that it's about equal opportunity for all regardless of gender? I love this question Um, because, yeah, my view on the whole quota topic has changed massively as I've gotten older because when I was young, um, it was like, no, I want it on merit and I want to be, it's the right person for the job and I can, you know, I can play in this space. But now that I'm older, I realise that affirmative action um, has to be on um, it has to be on the agenda. If it's not in the forefront of people's mind, they don't, they don't, they don't think about it. And if the pe- people in senior, senior leadership are all men, they're only thinking that f- from their own perspective. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, 100% to everything that you just said. I felt exactly the same in my 20s. Yeah. No quotas, just give it to me on merit. I'm good enough. Yep. If I'm good enough, I'll make it. If I'm not, I won't. I don't need your help. Yep. Um, felt exactly that way. And as I have gotten older, I think you start to have, you stop having such a black and white view of things and you yep. start to, you start to see more of the gray areas and the gray areas are that you can't be what you can't see. Yep. You can't change a system unless we can see what that system could, could be, could look like. Most of us can't imagine what isn't already there. Yeah. Um, I also think that, you know, unconscious, um, we w- we always make our choices unconsciously before we yep. make them consciously. Mm-hmm. And if you have unconscious bias, the only way to get around unconscious bias is by conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, in an ideal world, it would be wonderful that the quotas weren't needed and everybody I got agree. their on merit. Yeah. Yeah. But if we're going to wait for a world where unconscious bias doesn't exist, we're still going to be here five generations from now. Yeah. And the assumption that... You can't find 12 highly competent, qualified, conscious, insightful women in the country. I mean, that's just a mind blower just there. So the totally. I, I also I heard this quote recently that has just stuck with me, and it was through the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And somebody put it on social media and it said, you know, I have realized that I didn't make good choices. I had good choices. And it just hit me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so true, right? And, again, I think in my 20s you asked me, I would have been like, I am where I am because I made good choices. I am where I am because I worked hard. I am where I am because I put in more. Yeah. And the truth of it now in my 40s looking back is I did didn't necessarily make good choices because you can't make good choices unless you have good choices. Mm. And I had a lot of very good choices given to me. Yeah. So that's where I, I wish that it wasn't necessary. I believe that it is even for a short period of time um, while we readdress. Yeah. Um, I was reading something a while back about crash test dummies in cars yeah. And um, all the designers were blokes. And so all the cl- ca- crash test dummies 
were in the form of men. And it took a while before they realised it's like there's a flaw in this. This isn't actually working. And they realised that they had to have some variety in the sizes and the shapes of the crash test dummies. But it's if you don't have that that diversity, and it's not just gender, right? It's, yeah. you know, we all think about things in different ways. And if you don't have that diversity of thought or conversation, then the answer that you're getting is not as good as, as what it could be. And I think, you know, down to, you know, when we run businesses, we're, yep. we're business women. And I, I was having this conversation with a male friend this morning and he was talking about buying a house and we were talking about, you know, what's going on with mortgages, what's going on with property. And yep. and um, and I was saying, you know, you the system isn't set up yet to acknowledge that there is a period of time it, for a woman who chooses to have children. Yep. For, there is a period of time there where it's going to look very different. Mm-hmm. There's a period of time there where you know you're going to be taking time out because mm-hmm. somebody actually has to have babies. Yep. Um, in order for there to be a new generation, somebody actually has to have babies, and and there's a period of time where you know you're going to have to pay a lot of money out in in daycare and help and support and and everything else. And we don't have a system at the moment that is set up. No one has looked at it from the the viewpoint of fifty percent of the population to go, okay, how's that going to work? Mm-hmm. What's that going to be? So it requires those people in the room. Yeah, and it's insane that we're having this conversation about fifty percent of the population. I still find that insane that we're actually making a case for fifty percent of the population to be included in in some form of decision making is crazy in and of itself. I was at a meeting this morning, and there were fourteen people in the room, and there were two women. It, it was a property industry um, function, and it's like it still surprises me that that is the situation, but it is in oft, often. Yeah, and it takes takes consciousness from us. It, it takes all the incredible conscious men out there that there are totally. that yeah. we know and we love yeah. um, to to notice and invite, invite, yeah. notice and invite. Not yeah. necessarily, you know, pick it and just invite. You yeah. you you don't seem to be in this conversation. You should be. This yeah. conversation would really benefit to have you in it. Yeah, come in. Yeah. So the invitation to be invited and, you know, quotas are probably the most rigorous form of invitation. Yeah, it's really true. It's so true. We'll see where all of it lands. Mm. One of the things that I've discovered about myself is that I, I'm, whilst I get terrified about stepping out of my comfort zone, all the good stuff that happens happens on the other side of that comfort zone. Um, But I know lots of people who aren't brave enough um, to make that step. So have you got any tips on how people might actually take that step and do stuff that scares them? Um, yes. So as a personal story, when I I worked in the speaking industry for 15 years and you ask anybody, well, 20 years now, but for the first yes. 15, if you'd have asked anybody, if you'd have said, do you want, should Julie introduce you? Should Julie get up on stage and introduce you? They'd be like, no, don't get Julie to introduce me because I, my voice would break, my hands would shake, oh, my knees would shake. I, I had no really? interest, no interest wow. at all. Did not want to be there, would not sleep the night before, did not. I was happy behind the stage. Yeah. And that became a limiting belief for me that yes. I am better off behind the stage. I like, And it was true. I like it behind the stage. I'm, I don't need to be there. And then so number one tip, somebody asked me, and I've been asked a number of times, but for this, for some reason or another, somebody asked me and it was like nine months in the future. And I was like, mm. sure, I'm guaranteed to be more brave then. 
Because <laughs> sure. um, it feels like it's never going to happen, right? Because it's never like, going to yeah, happen, yeah, right? Yeah, I think yeah, Brene Brown sure. said it best. She was like, yeah, by then I'll be like younger, thinner, wiser, <laughs> like braver, yeah. all those things. All Surely that. I will. Yeah. yeah. So number one, just say yes. Say yes, don't question it. Have a yeah. panic attack later. Yeah. So just say yes on behalf of your future self. Yeah. And she can be angry with you later. So number it. one, just say yes. Just say yes. Yeah. Um, and figure it out later. Number two, number two is um, start to recognize the voice in your head. Mm. I have a voice in my head. Really? Yeah. Always 24 hours. And I've done so over the past five years, I've traveled the world speaking. Yeah. Um, and there will always be, you know, that first time that I did it was like an out of body experience. I've, uh, if you were in the audience, I apologize. It's not like I came out of the gate, you know, blazing with glory. Yeah. It was good. It was good enough. I'd worked hard on it, but you know, you, it's always version eight. So that's another yeah. thing to remember. Always version eight. Don't worry about version one. Just show up, do your best because then there'll be version two. Da, 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 yeah. da. By the time you get to version eight, you will be, you will have become that thing, but you don't get there. You don't get to go there yeah. without getting through versions one to seven first. So forget about right. okay. it being amazing. Yeah. The okay. other thing is learn to recognize the voice. Yeah. So about 24 hours before a presentation, every time guaranteed this voice goes off in my head that it's like, oh my God, I don't know a thing. I can't remember a word. Can't remember a word. I don't know a thing. Um, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to completely freeze. I'm going to forget every single thing. Um, this is going to be a disaster. And it happens every time, guaranteed. And I have learned to disassociate from that voice. Okay. And I now recognize that voice as someone yeah. other than me. And now I'm in the position because I've shown up enough times and, you know, imperfectly shown up enough time now in a situation where that voice comes on and I can go, oh, there you are. You come. Oh, I've been waiting for you. Yeah, I've been you. You come every time. Is it 24 hours before? Yes, it is. Guaranteed. Yeah. Thanks for arriving. We'll yeah. just keep going as we always do and show up as we always do. We're not going to cancel. We never have. And we're just going to keep moving yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah. So I've learned to just to expect the voice. Yeah. And I've learned to disassociate from it to the point where I can just go, thank you. And as always, we'll just keep moving. Yeah. When I gave you the feedback after, um, after I watched you speak was I was in awe watching you. Um, cause, cause I, I, I can speak. Um, I don't get as freaked out. I don't, I don't freak out as much as I used to. Um, but I also really, really have to work hard to remember everything and me watching you. It's just like, you just, you just flowed from one idea to the next and it just seemed effortless for me in the crowd. How do you do that? Structure. It's not word for word, it's structure. Yeah. So I know always how the first kind of two to five minutes is going to go. Sorry, everyone, this is coming about me at the moment. <laughs> My apologies now. So the first five minutes, I always know how that's going to go. Last five minutes, I always know how that's going to go. Yeah. I always know how I'm going to get from one point to the next yeah. because that's important. If I haven't thought about how I'm going to get from one point to the next, I could lose somebody yeah. if it's not clear how we step from one place and into another. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm always very conscious about how I do that. That's very deliberate. Yeah, right. But what happens in the middle, I know what I want to say. I know the point that I want to make. I know yeah. the story that I want to tell. Yeah. Um, but how I do that becomes fluid. 
Yeah. And that's where you can relax because you're not constantly going, oh my God, what was the next? Oh my God, what was that word? So a part of it is just doing it over and over and over again. And a part of it is focusing on structure and then letting the rest go. And and that's another misconception about showing up on video or presenting or any way you're going to show up is that we need to become somebody else. Mm. And the job is not to become somebody else. The job is to turn up the volume on who you are. Yeah, absolutely. The job is to create enough space so that you can show up fully who you are and communicate the mastery and the knowledge that you have earned and that these people are here or watching this video because they need or because they want or because they're hoping there's going to be something there for them. Yeah. So you turning yourself up means that you stand a better chance of being able to to get that across in a useful way. Yeah. And also I've also just learned to embrace the fact that occasionally I will suck. Yeah. So that's enough. <laughs> and that's and genu- okay. Yeah, genuinely, genuinely. Yeah. I've learned to embrace the fact that sometimes I will suck. And yeah. I don't know when that happens or but it, it, it does. And yeah. it's part of it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Absolutely. If you only had one minute to tell your story at an event, how would you go about it? There you go, the elevator pitch. Oh, gosh. To tell my story, as in who I am and what I do? Yeah, well, it just says tell your story. But I guess if we look at it um, from a perspective of a, a a real estate person wanting to, you know, the elevator pitch about why, why yeah. them? How would if I had that? one minute, I would say um, digital has forever changed the way that we influence and are influenced. Um I've spent 20 years in the world of studying influence and working with influencers and tracking these changes. And what I do is I decode those changes with actionable, actionable strategies and mind shifts, mindset shifts mm-hmm. where you can go out and influence in a new age in a way that's going to get your idea across in a compelling way and actually get people to take action. That's probably how I do it. That was pretty good. With no notice, yeah, that was that was really good. I've done it um, a few times. Yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> so that's the thing, right? Um, get clear on what it is and practice it if you're going to be in that situation. Tell it to your friends and family. Yeah, yeah. Tell it to your friends yeah. and family and then get them to repeat back, what do you think that I do? Why do you think that it's useful? Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. Don't wait until you're on the spot in a vital situation Correct. to yeah. give it your first shot. Yeah, yeah, that's that is really good advice. Um, so we've got three minutes. What would what what is it that you want to leave everybody with? I think that if there's something, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with the things that might stop you. Yeah, because okay. I can give all the strategies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's something stopping you, and you know what it is, we all know what it is. I have my stories. You have yours. Mm-hmm. Um, If you sit really quietly and just write down on a pad of paper what I know that I need to do, what I know that I need to get better at, where I know that I need to show up more, and what stops me, and get a little curious because the first thing you'll write down with what stops me is I don't have enough time. Yeah. Just go underneath that. What if I did what would stop me? And yeah, just keep going okay. and find the thing because it's never enough time. We all haven't, we all have the same amount of time. Um, there's yeah. something in there. Dig into what stops you and then work on letting that go. What would it take to let that go? Would I need training? Would I need a mentor? Would I need, what would it take to let that go? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's and amazing advice. That's probably, if you can do that, you're, you're 80% yeah. ahead of the game. Yeah. And I think for everybody watching, the very first place to start is to fo- keep track of the questions. Just start listening to all of the questions that are coming in to you and to the rest of the team um, and then work out how you can answer them. Get brave and do video answers. Um, but if, you, if you're not that brave, do blog posts, do newsletters, yeah. do, you know, there's lots of ways you can answer questions. Um, but yeah. the first place to start is to find out what they are. Yeah, I, I do audio. I'm not a video girl. Yeah. I don't like, you know, putting makeup on that frequently. So I hear you. <laughs> Um, so I do audio and that's my sweet spot so find what works for you yeah yeah more good advice well Julie Masters thank you so much for being part of it it was um yeah that was that was great I feel like I've had my own private masterclass actually (laughs) I love being in charge it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's a great thing when there's no one else absolutely Um, no other voices well it's always a pleasure spending time with you and you ask such incredible questions so thank you thank you thanks everybody we'll see you see you very soon bye